Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast of Grace Anglican Church in Grove City, Pennsylvania. We hope in these waning days of 2018 that you would consider making a generous donation to the ministry of Grace Church, which you can do through our website at graceanglicanonline.com. And now we turn our attention to the sacred word of God's grace in Holy Scripture. So I wish you a good evening on the third Sunday of Advent. Today is Gaudete Sunday, which means rejoice in Latin. The annual theme today, lighting the pink candle. You'll notice over there on the Advent wreath, it's pink. And it's pink for the idea of joy. It's typically a little break from the penitential season and the spiritual efforts that we find ourselves in during the season of Advent. Those spiritual disciplines are typically confession, and prayer and fasting. Today, though, our gospel reading hides the theme of joy. The theme is a bit difficult to discern, and yet I think it inspires and points us to a a joyful way. Where is it, though? Where is joy? Maybe you, like me, are struggling to find joy today. Maybe your week of preparation for Christmas or for finals hasn't left you feeling joyful. Gaudete Sunday typically draws us into the ministry of John the Baptist, and we most likely think of him as a fiery and steady, odd and solitary figure in the wilderness, preaching about baptism of repentance, challenging the worldview of the hearers, readying themselves for the coming Messiah. Nothing like the ministry of John the Baptist had occurred in Israel in over 400 years. And seemingly out of nowhere, this guy appears wearing camel's hair, clothing, a leather belt, living in the dangerous wilderness, eating locusts and honey. Imagine that dietary plan. Locusts and honey will make millions. I don't, I don't know. And John proclaims the way of the Lord. The passages we read today of the passage we read today in Matthew chapter 11 is the second passage that describes John. It's the second of three stories. And there seems to be a buzz about him. You're supposed to rejoice when thinking about John because he's the precursor of the Messiah. All of the Gospels understand him in this way. And yet here we see a different side of John, one that's quite challenging And if we're to be seriously engaged in preparing our hearts for the approaching Christmas celebration, we have to figure this out. Advent really is not meant to be something just to pass the time until the real party begins under the Christmas tree. Our attention and focus during Advent is not supposed to be theoretical, but a real opportunity to engage together and encourage one another as we await the Savior. And so the intentional spiritual disciplines that we engage in during Advent, as you might guess, don't typically foster joy. Really, who thinks of fasting and confession with an electric excitement that warms the heart and stirs the soul? Nobody. I don't. Perhaps our lives are in a challenging season and difficult circumstances. I was thinking about this uh, earlier today. The last time I preached this uh, section of uh, the the gospel of Matthew was three years ago in 2019. 
I don't know if you remember, Ethan, you asked me to preach that. It was just a few months before the world would be set on fire by a virus called COVID-19. That followed with a contentious presidential election and eventually the storming of the House. Social unrest and killings throughout the country. Wars around the world alongside financial distress of millions. Even as finances get tight for most of us, we find ourselves in the rabid, consumer-driven Christmas season. Did you hear Christmas songs before All Saints Day this year? What in the world? I did too. We may even sing, once Christmas arrives, some joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. But I have to confess to you today, I'm not feeling it. I'm tired. I still have papers and exams to grade. Many of you still have all-nighters ahead to ensure that you get decent grades. Students, you need to remember what Grandma Shepson used to say, nothing good ever happens after midnight. (laughs) And I still have those exams to grade. We get caught up in the frantic consumer-driven season, don't we? I've got to get the tree up. I've got to get the lights on. The in-laws are coming. That's its own chaotic mess sometimes. (laughs) What do I get Susie for Christmas? How do I get it all done? And we race and race and race. Joy? Now? Impossible. John felt this way too. He finds himself in prison, locked up by King Herod. For telling him that he couldn't sleep with his brother's wife. The prison was in a dungeon of one of Herod's palaces. Out of the way on the far side of the Dead Sea. In a town named Machaerus. It's a long way from Jesus in Galilee. And not long before this. He had been on the River Jordan. Which was a rest stop on the highway to Jerusalem. He had been there baptizing and preaching and proclaiming with people from all over the country visiting him. He was famous in that moment. As famous as a Kardashian. Although for different reasons. And Matthew here records that he's in prison. And he's confused about who Jesus is. He sends word to Jesus by his disciples to ask Are you the one who has come or shall we look for another? What? Imagine the discouragement he must be going through. Didn't John baptize Jesus by the river and see the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus and hear a voice of God from heaven? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Maybe we find ourselves in similar situations where we know something to be true, but our circumstance doesn't live up to the billing. John struggles to understand fully, and he doubts if Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. People have rejected his witness. They've turned away from him. They've made fun of John as a crazy madman in the wilderness. Later on in the gospel passage, chapter 11, that we read, speaks about that, verse 18. They've also rejected Jesus, the one he was pointing to. Originally, in chapter 3, John is a popular hero, but now imprisoned and ignored. So his words and ideas must have been delusional. 
And he sends a group of disciples to Jesus to inquire, who are you? As John saw it, the gracious words that came from Jesus and the miracles of mercy he performed did not harmonize with the manner in which he had pictured him before the public. John had presented Jesus as one who had come to punish and destroy. Like everyone else who misunderstood Jesus's ministry, he expected the Messiah to bring justice and a violent day of the Lord to set things right. And rid Israel of all difficulty. What John missed, however, was this. He failed to discern that this prophecy of doom would go into fulfillment, not now, but at Christ's second coming. He had not seen the present and the future in true perspective. And so John asked the question, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? It's a sweet question. It's an innocent question. It might be one that could be received with scorn and frustration. Maybe Jesus, if he were like me, would have said, are you kidding me? I'm not answering that question. You have enough proof, John. Since you were convinced, or rather, since you were conceived in your elderly mother's womb, and you were filled with the Holy Spirit then... You kicked her from the inside when my mother visited your mother. Your own ministry is Holy Spirit empowered. And you identified me as the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. John, I have so much work to do. Why are you bothering me with this trifling question? That's probably how I would have responded. No. Jesus responds to this momentarily confused disciple with tenderness. This is Jesus's nature. Just like he responded to the man born blind and the woman caught in adultery. He responds to Peter who denies him three times. Same way that he responds to Thomas who doubted him. Same way he responds to Don who is regularly discouraged. And you? Who are stuck in a routine of the treadmill of life? Who cannot seem to get rid of that addiction. Who are in a loveless marriage. Who have demanding or absent parents. Who have wandering children. Who grieve a significant loss. Who are in an abusive relationship. Who are physically or medically in danger. Who are lonely. Or you don't have anything wrong but you feel like you should. Jesus engages in the question He engages in the doubt. He engages in the uncertainty. He engages in the overwhelming concern. John has spent his life for one thing. To make ready the way of the Lord. And where did that get him? Discouraged. In a dungy prison somewhere. About to lose his head. Where's the joy in that, Jesus? And Jesus answered them. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In his answer, 
Jesus uses some familiar wording that would have stuck in the mind of an Old Testament prophet, which is what John was. Jesus' response had a familiar ring to it, so it must have reminded John of certain prophetic predictions, like Isaiah 35. You want to flip your page in your bulletin, you can read it with me. Verse 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Verse 10, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the prophetic vision of the Messiah. This is what Jesus responds with. Don't forget me. These things are not irrelevant. They count. They stick. They matter. They're there for you. They bring joy. So I want to pause here for a minute. For us to consider the redemptive things that Jesus has recently done in our midst. I don't want this idea of Jesus to be considered an ancient theoretical idea. But an idea that lives today, here, now. So I'd like to hear your testimonies as well. Where are the places in your lives where Jesus has invaded and redeemed you in some way? I'm going to break from typical preaching and I'm going to ask that question and I'm interested in your responses. Ethan started the service by asking us to consider the last year. Where are those places in our lives where we've seen God work, where we've seen God move in our lives and amongst us? And so tell me the stories of good things that the Lord is doing. What are they? Joy of family. Joy of family. Joy of restored relationships. Joy of restored relationships. Awesome. Joy of healing. Joy of healing. Amen. Joy of those who wandered from faith returning. Joy of those who wandered from faith returning. Beautiful. The joy of forgiveness when you don't think you can be forgiven. Here are some that I've recently thought of. A, a son of a close friend of mine recently has been expecting and experiencing significant persecution at work for his Christian beliefs. My friend's son is being persecuted for his Christian beliefs. And last week, without warning, his company fired him on Friday afternoon. Called him in. It was uh, like 3 o'clock, a little bit early. Called him in and fired him. Within 90 minutes, unexpectedly, he had another job offer with a better company. Are you kidding? That stuff happens. Two weeks ago, a student stopped me in the Bible and ministry suite to tell me that because of her confession last year, the temptation to sin had completely gone away. My dad called me the other day to tell me that one of his best friends who was not a Christian for his whole life, who my dad spoke truth into his whole life, called him and said, Don, I have terminal cancer. 
I only have a few months left to live. But I want you to know that I can't wait to meet Jesus, my Savior. I've given my life to him. Wow. Incredible. What a joy to hear these stories about how God is working. Do these reminders help you today? In the, in the question of where is joy? They do me. Similarly, Jesus reminds John that he is the one who has come after him. It is as if Jesus were tenderly saying to John, do you remember these prophecies? This too was predicted concerning the Messiah. And all this is being fulfilled today in me. Jesus doesn't even hint to John that the best is yet to come. The resurrection. So in this story, John asks a question related to his expectations of the Messiah. Who are you, Jesus? Once John's disciples depart with their encouraging answer, Jesus, interestingly interestingly enough, turns the question on the crowd. What did you go into the wilderness to see? Uh, By the way, he's in Galilee up north. It was a three-day walk. Three-day walk for them to go visit John in the wilderness. What did you go into the wilderness to see? He asks the crowd this question three times. A reed shaken by the wind? No. In other words, did you go see someone who didn't have a spine swaying around without certainty? And Jesus uses a a local image, a, a, a metaphor to describe the type of man, a prophet or even a priest, whose message was adapted to fit the prevailing mood. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? How about this? A man dressed in soft clothing. No. One didn't go into the wilderness to meet someone soft. It was a dangerous and hard place. Ironically, John is imprisoned in one of Herod's palaces at the very time of this event. He's imprisoned there without his consent. He didn't go into the wilderness to see a man dressed in soft clothing. Someone who wore soft clothing lived in the palace. That's where John finds himself. But in the prison, the dungeon, the basement. What did you go out to see? A prophet, Jesus says. Yes, the herald of the coming salvation. That is what is in store for you. That is what brings joy. He was the pivotal figure in the coming of the age of salvation. The one whose coming, Malachi said, would mark the beginning of the end. And Jesus describes him not only as a prophet, but more than a prophet. How could somebody be more than a prophet unless you're Jesus? He was more than a prophet because the prophets prophesied about him, about John the Baptist. In other words, Jesus wonders about their motives and curiosities about John. What were they? What did you go see in John? So that you could get ready for the Lord. Let's get ready for the Lord today and rejoice in the work among us. Father Ethan and I were talking together about this passage earlier in the week. 
and reflecting on how encouraging it is to us, this piece of scripture doesn't sugarcoat anything. It makes the word feel authentic to us. John is discouraged. And Jesus lovingly addresses him and points him to the reality of what's happening in his new and growing kingdom. I need that reminder too. So what's the takeaway for us? Honestly, sometimes we just need the help of others to see the Lord in his work. John's disciples presumably returned to him with what they had seen and heard. It must have been great news. It must have been a relief for John, even though his circumstances didn't change. By sharing these stories of God's activity with each other, I think we grow in our readiness to meet the Lord. The community of faith is crucial in the development of and preparation to see Jesus at his arrival. I don't think it's too difficult to find ourselves discouraged about not seeing anything happening spiritually in our lives. We might not see progress about this Advent mission we've been talking about, preparing the way of the Lord in our own hearts. Each of us has this responsibility to ready ourselves this season. And maybe... Maybe it's just not working. Perhaps you don't find yourself growing in readiness or excitement for the visitation of the Lord. Perhaps, it, perhaps you don't even see how joy is possible. This is where the community of faith steps in to assist. Because I think we all have a responsibility toward one another that would continue to encourage one another, to listen to these stories, to offer our experiences, to offer our stories of the Lord, to encourage in this way. That we would be clear about seeing the work of God in our midst. And as we do, it will bring a God Day Sunday to its fitting conclusion. In opening up our interior lives to one another in Christ, the light of life enters in and gives sight to the blind so that we see God clearly. He heals the wounds of sin that linger and fester. He cleanses those infected areas of life that are wounded and broken. He restores our hearing that we would know God's voice rather clearly than the voice, more clearly than the voice that lures us towards darkness and slavery. He gives life to those who are dead as people come to know Jesus as the one who takes away the sins of the world. And he begins to use us as witnesses of his kingdom for which we are set apart. These are all deeply meaningful opportunities. Indeed, they're invitations to join in the work of waiting and preparing for the coming of the Lord. And they are all things that bring joy to our hearts when we see our brothers and sisters Growing in the Lord. Joy. Now. Possible. Let me close with this poem. From Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. In 1863. On Christmas Day. In the midst of the Civil War. After he had lost his dearly beloved wife. To a tragic fire accident. had Because of it. Trying to save her. Burned, uh, burned his face. So he grew that epic beard that um, even Brian Brown would be um, envious of. He was discouraged. His oldest son went to war and was injured. And it was a difficult 
Christmas Day, and he penned this. In fact, for a time, he stopped writing because he was so, so discouraged. And his son came back from war and said, Dad, you've got to keep writing because the boys read your stuff and they're encouraged. He wrote this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the heart stones of a continent and made forlorn the household born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day to remember your faithful servant, John the Baptist. Thank you for his obedience to you in the midst of his own uncertainty as the precursor and Old Testament neon sign pointing to Jesus, our Savior. Fill us with joy this day as we are reminded of the good works that Jesus has done among us, especially in his redemptive ministry. Draw our hearts to you and ready us for that day when he comes again in glory to complete the work he has begun in us. Amen. Amen.